Welcome to Shelve Under Podcast, the Toronto Public Library podcast for readers, writers, and improvisers. I'm Jason Bizadian, and on this episode, I'll be talking with my co-host Christina Wong about the changing attitudes towards anxiety and its misconceptions. We'll have one of TPL's social workers, Rama Hashi, join us today on the program. Rama, who helps deliver programs and deliver services to the library's vulnerable populations and works with communities to make impactful changes, will offer her perspective on anxiety. Then we'll talk with improviser Cameron Algy. He'll talk about improv and how he uses it to help him with his social anxiety and help others. The content of this episode discusses lived experiences of anxiety, depression, and suicide. These topics are sensitive in nature and may be difficult for some people. I'm Christina. And I'm Jason. And today we're excited to have Rama Hashi with us. Rama is one of two social workers at the Toronto Public Library. Part of her job is to take a strategic approach to understanding vulnerable populations, identifying the barriers these communities face in accessing library programs and services, and what can be done to break down these barriers. Welcome to the show, Rama. Thank you guys for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your role? What do you do at TPL? So the social worker here at Toronto Public Library is a position that is um, has three priorities. One is specifically for staff capacity building, helping staff um, get to know social work perspectives, and also really understand what how to better serve our population um, and our patrons. And uh, specifically with uh, dealing with vulnerable populations, and it really helps um, the staff get to know um, how to deal with uh, difficult situations, for example, and where to seek help uh, if they need to refer people. Uh, the other aspect is really building on partnerships and trying to get experts and community partnerships together uh, from the social service sector. Uh, the other piece is also really understanding how we're going to facilitate access for people who are vulnerable. Um, how can they access our services and programs and how we can make our space uh, more um, inclusive and more welcoming. So today we want to talk about anxiety. That's really where we're coming at. Mental health and this kind of concern are such a, such a huge, big topic that we can't do it justice in an hour. We can't do anxiety justice in an hour either, but we can scratch the surface and talk a little bit about some of what's going on. So you want to define anxiety for us? Uh, so anxiety is, is really defined as the general anxiety disorder is the one that is referred to most of the time when we talk about that. And it's the most common form of anxiety, and it's characterized by a persistent, excessive worrying about everyday events and activities. So for a particular person, they're having a heightened sense of worry, uh, which is more than usual. And, um, and they find it very difficult to control. I think that's another aspect of that definition. And it's classified as such because this anxiety is usually by uh, health professionals. They look at it that it's consistent for more and persistent for more than six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is gradual and it fluctuates, but it's still something that is an underlying issue that that person faces every single day of their lives. 
Right. So this is different from feeling nervous or just being at a party and feeling like you don't know how to handle the situation. This is about a more persistent feeling that doesn't really go away. Is that right? Exactly. And it lasts more than six months. So it's almost uh, a heightened level of stress, kind of? or Yeah. I mean, the way they put it, um, mental health workers and um, um, professionals always look at it as you have this um, alarm system in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, the alarm system is triggered for that person uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. They have this irrational, excessive, and seriously impacts the life of that person. So it is always on. Right. Um, you have this flight, uh, freeze, or fight system, right? And for that person, it's really always on to the point where they can't control it. It, it impacts their life. So that's why they, they think it's a little bit more than normal anxiety and mm-hmm. worry. Can I ask a question, and I want to be as sensitive as possible when I ask this. Is this a psychological thing, or is it a genetic thing, or is it can it be caused by social function? Do we know kind of what the cause of this is? Well, um, we don't know the cause, mm-hmm. right? What we know is there's a combination of things that can cause this. It could mm-hmm. be, you know, a predisposition. It could be um, how you grew up as a child and how your coping strategies um, developed as a child mm-hmm. and your attachment uh, when you were growing up. What was the kind of attachment that you had with your parents, your family? There isn't a specific one cause because people are different, right? There, there isn't a specific one. I bring that up a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to out myself here because I do have anxiety uh, issues, and they don't always rear their head, but in specific circumstances, uh, they do come up. Like I was saying, when I'm in social circumstances where I don't know people, I feel very uncomfortable. It doesn't matter where I am. But then again, I also do performing sometimes. I'm an improviser. So I've been on stage. I have no problem being on stage because I can kind of control the situation. But when you're in a world or a bar or something where you're out at night somewhere where you don't know anybody around you, then I'm really tense. I'm in a place where I feel complete danger and panic. And it is that fight or flight feeling. I just know, like, when we're talking about this, I, I start to feel it a little bit even then, just thinking about it, right? So I think that's really interesting. And I know other people who have anxiety and their experience and re- the way that they experience it is totally different. So there's a lot of different ways that you can come to this. So mm-hmm. I find that really, really interesting. I kind of the opposite. I, mm-hmm. I get really nervous going on stage. Yeah. So I just, I, I can feel myself like I'm, it's not that I'm sweating, but I'm just, my heart starts palpitating and I get nervous and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to forget what I'm going to say. And it's not quite, I don't know if it's anxiety, but it's, it's very, uh, it stresses me out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's very instinctive, right? Yeah. We always go through um, moments of anxiety, all of us, mm-hmm. um, presentations. It could be, you know, work, life, any type of anxiety. And I think it's a common thing. Uh, But if that actually affected you doing, um, you know, anything that has to do with the stage or performance and you are an actress, Mm -hmm. for example, good luck with that, right? (laughs) Uh, As opposed to you, for example, if you were supposed to be a teacher and making Mm -hmm. connections with other people and, and, you know, teaching and having that social aspect of your work. Yeah. Yeah, it will, it will be uh, debilitating, right? Definitely. Um, so it, it is, in a sense, anxiety is good for us because it gives us a performance, you know, a boost. But if it actually stops you from being who you are and doing your work, then it becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. I just think that's really interesting that we're two totally different people. Our experiences are lived experiences, but yeah, we have the same, the same feeling, even though it's manifesting in different ways. It's a really... Unusual, not unusual, I want to say interesting characteristic mm-hmm. of work. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask a question about social connections? 
so much of what I'm hearing anyway about depression and anxiety, what can help them is being in situations with people that they trust or just being in calm and safe social spaces. So do you think that there's a role for the library to play in this? Um, the, the role of the library is really that connector with the community. Mm-hmm. So for us to be able to facilitate and ease that anxiety, it could be that we are welcoming, we are offering services and programs that are, people can see themselves in and they're not being judged, they feel welcomed. And, and that lessens really that anxiety of the social connection you talked about, mm-hmm. right? When we approach people in a very friendly way, we were using excellent customer service where we're saying who we are, what we do at the library, and, and really facilitating that approach and interaction with people that actually does help. it does help mm-hmm. so we are sort of like a social capital of 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 people we are we are the part of their network of support so i think yeah there is a great role that the library can play in easing um anxiety per se from that perspective i think at two libraries in regina in saskatchewan they offer two drop-in services there and is that something the library would want to do or I don't know. I can see. I can see the uh, the library offering services in terms of drop-ins, um, in terms of counseling and therapy. There is a, it's a mu- much more structured perspective mm-hmm. and approach. So I think um, we need a little bit more work towards um, you know having a structured counseling and therapy sessions. Mm-hmm. But I think I, we need to stay within our mandate where we talk about sure. you know that social connection, you know uh, talking to people mm-hmm. and and being there for people and. And then resourcing them to the community expertise yes. that exists already. That's true. I guess I want to get your sense of what can we do going forward, even if you're out in the world, like outside of the library, but in the library too. Is there something as a patron, like as a customer that I could do? It's good to recognize the signs of and, and symptoms of, of anxiety. So mm-hmm. if, if you are an anxious person, you probably dealt with, you know, a, a list that you made of all the places that you need to avoid in order to trigger that. Yeah. And all the things you, you would feel when you have that moment, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things is the mindset. It's it, You know that you understand it in, in a sense that it's an irrational behavior. Mm-hmm. You understand that you can't control it, but you can't help it. And then there's also that physical symptoms that you get, the stomach cramps, the sweating that you guys talked about, the uh, tiredness and all that, and the tension, the muscle tension. Um, And then there's the reaction you have, the inability to relax. Um, You are making lists all the time. You're planning. You're seeking um, reassurance from others. So you know yourself when you're having moments of anxiety. So that's the first thing. that Once you recognize your symptoms and signs, then it's good to seek out some help. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good to talk to a, a health professional and, and speak about what you're feeling. And it could be that, you know, sometimes um, you just need a therapist to follow you and talk to you about this. And, and there's something called um, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And that has been proven um, across the board that it's actually helpful for people. Um, so that's the first thing that you could do. You can do support groups uh, that you can go and talk about your situation and you you can find strategies that work for others and use that. Um, other thing is, is you can contact, um, uh, you know, helplines. Uh-huh. And we give you all the information afterwards. So I mentioned improv a moment ago. Uh, I think I want to use that as a great segue into the interview that we have, which is with Cameron Algy, who is somebody who is... Really who is your improv instructor? He was, yeah. And improv is a really great tool to kind of overcome 
some aspects of anxiety and also just to kind of be part of a community too. Improv is very nurturing and positive in that sense, which I think is really good and makes you part of a group. Nobody, well, almost no one does improv alone, right? You do it with a group of people or you do it as a team. So some of my best friends that I've met have been through improv because you spend all this time closely together, you develop common interests and you get to know each other really, really well. And you have this intimacy. I was very honored to get the chance to interview Cameron Algie, who is one of my favorite people to talk to anyway. Um, so we're going to cut to that interview now and then we'll come back with Rama's and our thoughts on how that went. Cameron Algie is an improviser and educator. He has performed across Canada and the United States with and without his improv troupe, SNP. He studied improv at the Second City in Toronto and with the Inpatient Theatre and has taken many other workshops and classes. He currently teaches workshops, classes, and presentations that use improv to help overcome social anxiety. And it's my pleasure to welcome Cameron Algie to the show. Hi, Cam. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming in. And full disclosure, Cameron has been my improv coach for quite a number of years now, I'll say. Yeah. It's good. It's good to get that out of the way. It's good to get that out of the way. Because then you're biased. I'm biased otherwise, right? I'm showing my bias, right? Um, People know that I'm on here just because you're pushing an agenda. I'm pushing a law, strong agenda. That's, that's all I do here. I'm part of the library conspiracy of agendas. <laughs> so, Cam, I guess I want to start out talking a little bit about, you know, how you got into improv. Well, how did you start? I, I guess I started because my one of my therapists recommended I try improv okay so i was i was very anxious i was struggling with life and so i was seeing a therapist and uh anytime i would try and be vulnerable or he would try and get me to be vulnerable i would like joke my way out of it because i don't want to have feelings and i don't want to i didn't even want to create a rapport with my therapist i guess Mm -hmm. or i wasn't willing to open up uh and he said oh you um when you joke your way out of being vulnerable sometimes you're funny um, and I was like, well, thank you. Uh, again, trying not to be vulnerable. He, he said, oh, you should try improv. Uh, you should try Second City. And uh, improv to me, like improv in my head was, you know, whose lines it anyway? Sure. Uh, and so I imagined being on stage, uh, feeling the pressure of making funny stuff, stuff up on the spot um, in front of like friends and family and high school bully and stuff like that. And so it felt like overwhelmingly wrong advice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was, I w- I was coming to someone and saying, I'm scared to leave the house. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I throw up, uh, in, because of my nerves at the idea of going outside and the idea of like the world, like I'm just scared to move. And I sit at home shaking all the time and I'm, I'm isolated and lonely. And his response was like, oh, yeah, you should get on stage and perform and be funny. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, okay. So I, I thought about it a long time and I decided, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to stop seeing this therapist. Uh, <laughs> and I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> like my, my answer was, you don't get anxiety. Right. You don't understand it. I mean, thank you for your time. Uh, but I, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do it on my own. 
And so I, um, you know, stopped seeing that therapist. I eventually went and saw another one. I look back now and I was like, so judgmental. He was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, going back to how I eventually got to that first class, I, I would um, get obsessed with self-help, mm-hmm. uh, listening to all the tapes, tapes, I guess. Sure. And then later CDs and then later MP3s and then later podcasts. I'm aging myself. Uh, <laughs> listen to things, listen to seminars and self-help and, um, you know, obsessively try and try and fix myself. Yes. And then I felt like I, I got worse, like I spiraled downwards because I would just wake up every day and hate myself as I was and then spend all day trying to fix me. And then when I wasn't fixed at night, I'd be depressed and then repeat. You stop looking for anything good in life. You're just focused on what's bad. How do I fix it? And so if, if, you know, doing morning pages like that stream of consciousness in the morning, if that will help, I'll do that every morning. And then this thing, and then this thing. And so your day is almost packed and booked with all these things you, from a self-help perspective, have to do. Like take this time to meditate, take this time for this. And then, yeah, I guess I, I I reached a point where I hated life enough that I thought, okay, I I don't want to, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't know if I like really reached the brink of suicide, Mm -hmm. but the, but the, I think it'd be the, I think it was the first time in my life that it made like logical sense that if life is just all day pain and suffering and work. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know how much longer I want to do it. And so then once, once it popped in my head that, okay, it's, you know, you're, you've reached that point Yes, that I thought, okay, remember way back, like, I think it was like six months ago or something. It's like, remember way back when that therapist suggested improv Mm -hmm. now that the alternative is suicide, maybe improv doesn't seem as scary relative. Sure. And so... I think a lot of people can agree with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I did weigh the pros and cons. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. <laughs> Love to see that list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. yeah, I should post that somewhere. Uh, I'm going to track that down. Uh, so I got my wife, Sally, and a friend from work, Tom, to take... So I signed up for Second City and then had them sign up too to be on both sides of me so that I survived the class and made sure I went to class. And, sure. and uh, yeah, finally, you know, before class, I probably was in the bathroom with diarrhea or whatever, just like anticipating how terribly scary the class is going to be. But again, once I was in there, it's like being on stage. Once right. I was in the class, I was like, oh, okay. It's just playing and having fun. And it's not as scary as I imagined it. I think like all anxiety, you imagine such fascinatingly terrible things and then they don't come to fruition um but yeah and then eventually just started taking classes and got more comfortable with the idea being someone who's known you for a little bit of time now to not know if i had not known that you were somebody who had suffered from this previously i never would have guessed and a lot of a lot of that is true with people who have anxiety in general i think it manifests itself in specific ways and i guess i'm just curious like are there still moments where you feel that or is it kind of something that it's definitely a part of you, but it's kind of in the past? Uh, I would say during my like heyday of anxiety, yeah, like uh, peak times that 
for those years, it was uh, a constant vibration. I like I was constantly I felt like I was constantly in a state of fight or flight. Like I was constantly there was a sense of impending doom all the time and right. I felt it and uh, like terrible things were coming and I needed to be protected against those things. And it was it was a, like heightened fear was how I lived. And so it felt permanent. And uh, I assumed it was just how I was wired and that I would always be like that. But I guess having come out the other side, I would say, I think, you know, joking about, oh, I'm still able to feel nervous yeah. is for me, it's one of those great things when I feel nervous because it's a reminder that I'm not always like that. Mm-hmm. And so I would say the main difference now is I, I can walk down the street without feeling panic. And then every once in a while, I'll feel o- overwhelmed or stressed or, or nervous or anxious. But when I feel it, there's almost a smile and a sense of, oh, it's like visiting an old friend that you haven't seen in a while that you used to permanently stare at <laughs> or like permanently be around all yeah. the time. I think for a long time, I was scared of reverting or like what if i become old cameron Mm -hmm. and and, you know the next time i get nervous it just takes over and becomes permanent again and so but i feel now the freedom of i know it's a feeling that will pass and so when it comes i'm okay with it being there whereas in the past i hated it and fought with it which probably made it stronger and hang out more when you have kind of taken that plunge and you figured out that you have some kind of issue and you're acknowledging it, your mind opens up a lot more to things like meditation that you might not have considered before or dismissed. Yeah. Um, and the possibility of it helping you. I never would have considered it before. It was something I'm like, yeah, that's fine, but it's not right. for me. Now it's something I've tried a few times and I've quite enjoyed it. And <laughs> yeah. I'm more willing to do things like that than I would have been before. So learning that, yes, it's okay to acknowledge something and fight with it or struggle with it or to work your best to overcome it right but trying different strategies of things is not going to hurt and doesn't yeah. matter it doesn't mean there's anything wrong right yeah and for me like the the biggest power of improv for me was taking a break from the struggle uh-huh uh if it was a three-hour class you know maybe uh, maybe i'd still be stressed at the start of class and right. at the end of class i'd probably start anticipating going back in the real world and start getting anxious but for like probably good solid two hours of that it was two hours where i wasn't trying to fix myself it was two hours where i wasn't trying to like fight against the anxiety uh it's something i still try and do is just have play in my life like have it seems it's it's gonna maybe sound like avoidance but like have moments where you stop trying to fix yourself and stop trying to be better and stop trying to grow and then just goof around goof around for a bit and then you can go back to work but it's like in the same way you need breaks or a vacation from work or you know uh, you need a rest day or recovery day when you work out right i feel like i got into the habit where self-help was 24 7 like uh, i'm gonna fix cameron's brain and i'm not gonna take a break until it's fixed it wasn't until i took a break that i actually started to feel like that recovery 
And then uh, what's a, what's an what's another thing? What was another thing I was going to say? Oh, uh, that morning pages thing, like stream of consciousness writing, mm-hmm. just getting some of the noise and uh, stuff that's in your head down onto a piece of paper. I I don't do it that consistently, but yeah. when I do, I always look back and go, "That was so great! I'm so glad I did that." I, you know, I wish I did it more consistently, and then I don't. Uh, but when I do, uh, it feels great. So I think that's something to throw out there as. Definitely. I want to just mention a little bit about what that is to give people some context because it is a really great exercise. So Julia Cameron wrote this book called The Artist's Way, which I guess you're kind of recommending Mm -hmm. by recommending the morning papers. (laughs) This is one of the first exercises she has you do. She says to do it, I think, for two weeks. But first thing, as soon as you get out of the uh, wake up in the morning, you have a piece of paper by your bed and you start writing stream of consciousness. You fill three pages every day don't stop and don't stop if you stop to think write down those thoughts yeah and don't stop at all and don't judge what you write just like just write through it and it's amazing what comes through on that page and the creative ideas you have so i i actually use this exercise i tell my i have a writer's group in this exact same space and i have them do that part that exercise and it really gets some juice coming out of people like creative juices start to flow really really quickly it's the stuff that's in the way of the creativity kind wow. of thing. Uh, it's all the stuff that's on our mind that we feel like, oh, we need to deal with this before we can get to any of the fun stuff. And then you just write it down. You're like, okay, there. It's maybe not dealt with, but it's on record that this stuff is a thing that, you know, we we have the minutes of our mind of like what to do. And now we can play and be more creative. And then that we could always go back to read those morning pages later. Yeah. For me, what I found interesting, like I could never do it first thing in the morning. When I did them at night, I understood why she called them morning pages because I would do them at night. And then uh, so it'd be like a brain dump. But then I would have all these like creative ideas and yes. like things I could do in art projects. Yeah. And then I'd stay up all night and work on those. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, I understand why this is a morning thing. So you could spend the rest of the day being creative instead of do the right before bed. And then your brain's like, all these, all these <laughs> things that we could do that are amazing. Let's talk a little bit more about improv now. Because we haven't really talked too much about that except the very basics. So... I'm assuming you haven't always been just an improviser, somebody who just works at doing improv and teaching improv and doing, um, you know, different workshops and things like that. So kind of what made you realize, oh, this is the thing for me. This is what I want to (laughs) do. I think the snarky part of my brain wanted to say, I have always been an improviser like all other humans. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That it's like, oh, I wing it in the moment. When someone says something to me in a conversation, I respond in the moment, unprepared. Uh, anyway, so I just need to get that out of my system. That we've all, <laughs> we're all born improvisers. Yeah, but not, not all of us. But not, <laughs> but not all of us, I know. And I remember it was uh, Catch-23 at Clinton's. Oh, yeah. And uh, just give, I guess, name shout-outs or whatever. But Kurt, Sme- Kurt Smeaton was doing a scene. And he was like, he was playing. There was lava flowing down into us like a village right and he played a series of different characters running away from the lava and then he played a superhero who who uh stopped the lava and then rolled it up like a carpet oh and i was just watching in awe at the just creativity and like impish playfulness and uh oh sorry and i thought uh i like the idea of being able to do that but i but i 
I could never do it. So you kind of bridged the gap. You figured out you can use improv to help you with your anxiety. Where did the idea to make that a kind of a, a lead in your life of teaching other people to use improv to help them with their own anxieties? Well, I mean, I guess the idea came to me in that improv helped me personally. Yes. And so then uh, what, I, what I noticed during my during all the classes I was taking was all of the, all of the links between improv and all of the self-help stuff I was reading about. Right. And so when I was, I was teaching at uh, a, a school that doesn't exist anymore. I don't know if, do I need to give it a shout out? Or I guess it doesn't matter. But it was a place called Impatient Theater that uh -huh. existed in Toronto. He started me teaching level one. And because I was still going through my own stuff, my, the voice in my head was still in a judgmental place. Right. And so I was very judgmental towards my students. And he's like, well, you are not fit for level one. <laughs> and so then I started teaching level two, but, I, but I'm glad he said something. Like I understood the concept of, oh yeah, I'm projecting my heavy demands of perfection on myself onto others. And that's just something to keep in mind. And then over years, as I lightened up, I was able to lighten up on others too. But yeah. So then after teaching there a couple of years, I went to him and said, oh, I'd like to try this workshop. But I pitched it as a business concept where I essentially said, all those people who are scared to sign up, mm -hmm. I, I want them to sign up. I yes. want them in the class. And he's like, yeah, you understand that doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, like it's a terrible model for a class. You want the people who won't come? And I'm like, yeah, how do we get them? <laughs> uh, it's like, well, we don't. Like that's <laughs> part of the thing. Uh, but we set up this workshop and uh, a bunch of people came and it just felt good to test it out uh, because I think one of the like the main idea of the class is it's a room full of like-minded people so there's right. an instant support that school hopefully not because of this that school closed down uh, <laughs> yes hopefully not yeah you know, it's like just that one Ooh. class and then it's like shut it down <laughs> um, and so then I started Play with fire improv yes to run to run these classes because i saw like the link between improv and anxiety and i wanted to make that accessible to people and so i started running classes every once in a while on my own but it was hard to get word out and it was hard to get to people and then um, eventually i either smartened up or chickened out on my own business and went to second city i, I thought oh, i'll go to where the people are yeah <laughs> <laughs> i went to second city and pitched the idea of like an improv the improv for anxiety program which they had started doing in chicago oh okay and so it made the pitch easier it's like hey the thing that's going in Chicago. If you want to do it here, I'd love to do it here. Uh, so it's been running on Second City for a while and it's still, I still run the classes through Play With Fire Improv and uh, it's a chance to, you know, hopefully get over the biggest hurdle, which is, you know, who else is going to be in the class? Uh, am I, am I going to be the one who sucks <laughs> and everyone else is going to be super funny and everyone else is there because they want to be a superstar. Right. It removes that 
And it's just, oh, no, nobody wants to be here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone's scared to be here. And, and you have that instant connection where you realize, oh, I'm not the one who sucks in this class. We all suck. That's why we're taking a class. Uh, we're not expected to be good at it. We're not expected to not be nervous. That's amazing. And it is an incredible program. I mean, I've known a few people who've come in and out of it and they yeah. have kind of developed themselves as a result of that. Yeah, it, it was uh, fascinating to see because like through through my company, we're, you know, there's, we're like slowly building a community. But the thing with Second City is it has like, it has long-term plans it has yes. like an a b c d e and then it has conservatory and stuff like that and so i got to see people come in the door like being super scared yeah. and then i also got to see them graduate from level e and play on the second city main stage in Amazing. front of friends and family i was just like wow like it's so wonderful to see them start to gain confidence, come out of their shells, try things, get a little more playful. Um, yeah, it's just really wonderful to see that. I don't want to say growth because I don't want to make it seem like you have to be better than you are right now. Yes. Maybe it's, maybe it's the other way. It's like see them realize that they're okay as they are Yeah. Uh, and let go of wanting to be better and just play in this moment with what they got and it's uh yeah it's just fun fun to watch the the judgment kind of start to melt away and just like oh yeah you know what i'm okay so just one question to wrap up of course this is a library podcast so julia cameron the artist's way do you have any other books or resources you think might be of use or interest to the the general listening reading public oh man uh hundreds uh <laughs> Uh, what pops in my head, uh, Pima Chodron. Okay. I don't know if I'm saying that last name right. Uh, she's, she, yeah, she's just very inspiring. I guess uh, Deepak stuff, throw that out there. <laughs> I assume you know who Deepak is. Oh, now I'm blanking out. Oh, there have been some uh, good books recently. I'm trying to think. The guy who did, uh, oh, The Happiness Equation. Yes, yes. That uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, now I feel like this state of, oh, there's so many books. I know. There's so many the good books out there. All right, I'll just leave it at that. Um, is there anything you'd like to promote before we finish off here, Cameron? Um, Playwithfireimprov.com. Uh, check it out because there's a blog on there that talks about, you know, my story uh, or like my travels going through anxiety. There's also classes on that if you're interested in those. Um, some links to some other interviews and stuff you've done too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Links to rival podcasts. There are no rival podcasts. <laughs> there could be only one. <laughs> Cameron, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been an absolute pleasure, well, as always. That was a really great uh, interview you had with Cameron. Yeah, I, I really like talking to him because he is an improviser and you get to do riffs too, which is always fun. So these little bits that we constantly got to have in that interview, or that we get to have whenever I talk to him, really. Because the moment you see another improviser, you start to do that. It, and it's a super gratifying and fun thing once you get the hang of it.
There was something that he had said in the interview which really caught my attention, and Rama already mentioned it, but he felt this constant flight or fight um, of impending doom. And it's that feeling of like, when when does it end? And does it ever end? And that kind of thing. And it's, it's kind of, um, it's an interesting comment on anxiety. Absolutely. And, you know, as I said before, you would never guess that he had anxiety from the outside. And to the extreme exact, like way that he said he did, I would never have thought he of all people, because he's such a calm, kind of even keel person. I've never seen him get really super angry or like unhappy even. Like he doesn't really show those emotions. At least I don't see it. I feel um, like um, with anxiety or any, I guess, mental health challenges, there's this silent struggle. And I think you, uh, Raman, you, you mentioned that as well. Um, absolutely, yeah. And there's a stigma still with it associated with it. Yeah, I, I, that's why I, I kind of wanted to out myself a little bit off the top so people got a sense of where I'm coming from. Um, and to show like it can be anybody. You can sound really confident or happy or whatever in the moment, but whatever's going on in our heads, not a, you can never really get that out. So putting it out there and, you know, reducing that stigma as much as possible really makes a tremendous difference, I think. Mm -hmm. And recognizing in yourself that you, you do have it and um, I guess seeking help. It's yeah, there are many ways you can control the symptoms, right? So um, I think Cam mentioned that um, research demonstrate the most effective treatment uh, for anxiety are behavioral. Mm -hmm. um, it involves gradually exposing sufferers to the situation that they fear the most. Uh, for example, social anxiety, you would go to the improv, yeah. you know, very counterintuitive for him. But I think that is really what exactly the therapist is doing is is exposing you gradually to what you fear the most and you see that it's actually trivial in a sense right um but what we need to know is that you can learn for, for, to um control that behavior and that um that anxiety and that recovery is possible and um there are many options available and i think uh his example uh, when cam mentioned that it's really um something that he grew to um to control and and he learned to um kind of direct that behavior to something more productive i think what definitely is a big part of it is with his play with fire improv um, you can see that because he gets a group of people who all have the same anxiety or they all have anxiety I should say of some sort or another and when you're in a room full of people and you know everybody gets where you're coming from at least in some regard that can drop your barriers a little bit and make you feel a little bit more comfortable in a situation that you normally wouldn't be that comfortable with and I have a couple of my friends who are former students of his who went through this kind of anxiety for improv program. And again, they, they're way more happy and confident people. They're never going to, you're always going to have those issues. You're going to feel them. But it's about not being dominated by them in the same way. It's not about not recognizing them. But even he said at one point, it's kind of like an old friend visiting and you remember this thing because now you're like, oh, that's what it used to be like all the time. Now it's just coming and going. And that's a great feeling. That's such a positive way of looking at it, too. He's such an expert in his own anxiety, right? Yeah. Um, that's what I always say in terms of self-care. You are your own expert of what works and what doesn't work. And, um, and Cameron called it one time um, taking a break from the struggle. Mm -hmm. So he was looking as improv as taking a break. Um, 
that's ultimately the self-care that we're talking about. It's finding what works for you and trying to translate that. It doesn't mean that, you know, something that worked for someone else would work for you. So you just a trial and error, um, you try it out. So if improv is not your thing, perhaps mindfulness exercises that he talked about are your thing. Um, and you can plan short activities that are, are enjoyable and distracting from that anxiety. You can exercise, which is very helpful, and it does really counteract the anxiety. Um, for some people, you, um, you need to learn and practice problem-solving skills. And th- this could be done in a workshop. It could, de- it could be done with your therapist. Um, it, it's sort of like reducing and minimizing control or preventing excessive worrying on a daily basis. Um, another thing is really important, and this is what where the, I see a lot of what we can do in terms of the library, is social support network. We are part of that social support network. So finding family, friends, and a support network, a group, a book club, a coffee and conversation that you can go to and just be yourself in a space that's safe and just come in and talk to people. And I think that's where you will find yourself in terms of what works for you with your healthcare professional, your, your, your physician as well. Right. As they say, you can get as much medical care as possible, right? Which is always good. If you have a problem with your health, mental or physical, you should get treatment, right? But that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of it. You need that social support network. You need family and friends, but also if you don't have those or they're not readily accessible, joining a group or joining a club, as I was saying, with like improv, but with anything. Like, again, a book club is a great example. A weekly meetup of any sort is really going to help you feel better like that makes a tremendous difference to your mental health state of being you feel happier because you feel like you're connected to other people and with any of those examples you provided they're kind of all part of a mixed bag um what i mean is you want to combine approaches is that right yes a combination of all those approaches should work um it it doesn't mean that one is not going to work but sometimes it's uh three or four different strategies would be able to facilitate your your anxiety controlling um and all that so i think yeah you just need to try and and see what works for you and and uh, work with your health professional like i said recovery is possible uh, because we know that um, anxiety disorders can affect anyone at, at any age and they are most common mental health problems, right? And sometimes anxieties are triggered by specific events or traumatic life experiences. We don't know what the cause is, uh, but if you feel that you are suffering from that, there is help and there are ways to find um, help and resources. I find that for me, um, I go. I like to go on walks because I feel like that clears my head a lot. Um, what else? I agree. Uh, when I'm really, really feeling anxious, um, I want to separate myself a little bit mm-hmm. and a quiet walk somewhere. Mm-hmm. I live near a spot where I can go for a quiet walk by the water. So that's what I always do. When I had incidences in the past, that's what I would do. I'll go home, quiet, sit in a quiet space, and then go out for a walk. Walking always suits you because mm-hmm. it's that mental mm-hmm. clearing, kind of almost like a meditative state, right? Mm-hmm. Or And then you're also activating your body a little mm-hmm. bit, which is part of it. So you're combining these things. I also found that I... Um, adopted or <laughs> bought a lot of plants because <laughs> I feel like oh I, that kind of um, not soothes me but it, it's very relaxing mm-hmm. um, or just going to the piano and that just makes it less stressful for me. Yeah, a lot of people do a lot of breathing exercises too, mm-hmm. right? A part of the mindfulness is to know when your body is tense mm-hmm. and you stop breathing, which is the most essential thing. 
you need to learn and and practice how to breathe. And there are plenty of YouTube exercises that would you know do the timeful um, breathing, which is three, four, exhale, three, four, inhale. So I think you, that would have helped a lot too. You know, I find strange that I've, I've tried that and I can't stop my brain from thinking of the stress and I don't know how to like turn it off. So mm-hmm. I have to, that's what I have to figure out. <laughs> yeah, but even, you know, meditation and that kind of breathing exercise, it's not for everybody either, right? Yeah. So don't feel like you have to try one way and if it doesn't work. That's true. <laughs> there's there's lots of other ways and they're like you kind of as we were saying you build your own approach that works for you for cameron that worked the meditation right mm-hmm. for me it doesn't work i can't do it i can't sit there quietly and sit in that space but you know i go to the gym and there's a steam room and i sit there for 10 minutes and just don't think of anything and it's very easy for me to do it there because mm-hmm. i'm just absorbing heat or whatever and that makes it work for me rama what do you do i usually Go in a little quiet corner, do those breathing exercises, and um, really mindfulness um, exercises work for me a lot. Um, Especially if you're, uh, you know, working on um, kind of letting go of everything, just feeling your, you know, grounding techniques, knowing that you're sitting somewhere, you're feeling your feet, you're clearing your head, maybe think of uh, a beach somewhere. And just breathing in and holding it for a little while and breathing out, it does a wonder to your body. So, I mean, that works for me a lot. That's a nice image. I felt like I was transported to a beach right now. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> uh, another thing I just want to mention, which is really, really helpful. If you don't use it, I love my sad lamp. So if you don't know about seasonal effectiveness disorder, it can throw you off when it's kind of more gray as it's winter right now when we're recording. Um you get a kind of a gray weather, and when you have a side lamp, it kind of simulates the light of the sun. I have one at my desk and at home, and I find it really picks me up when I'm feeling lower, too. And the library also has these And the lamps. library has, yeah, has, a few, has been a few branches now, so check that out. It's really, really made a tremendous difference in my life that I didn't think it would. Should we talk about book recommendations? That's a great idea. So I have a lot. So why don't you go first? Okay. So I have one, and it's um, actually a graphic novel uh, called Going Under by Zvan. I'm, I'm, I'm actually saying her name. But it's spelled Z-V-I-A-N-E, and that's the pen name of Sylvie Anne Menard. And she's an artist and musician based out of Montreal, Quebec. And the book is such a very, it's a beautiful, poignant look at depression and its lingering effects. And it's that feeling of drowning. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, people around her think she's okay, but she's still not okay. She hasn't quite recovered, and it's kind of building her life back together again. And it's it's a beautiful book if you get a chance to read it. Oh, amazing. Um, I have basically two fields of books, so I'm going to run through these pretty quickly, but I have a couple of improv books and a couple of um, books that help me with my anxiety. So the first thing I want to bring up is a book called Improv Nation by Sam Wasson. This is a book on the history of improv, where it came from and how it started. And for people who don't know, it was originally a behavioral therapy exercise that somebody came up with. This person, Viola Spolin, I might be saying her name wrong. I probably am. Um, She came up with this technique to help with children in Chicago, as a matter of fact. So they were all immigrant children who she kind of brought together as a group and came up with these acting exercises as a way of bringing them together. And it became this spun out into what it is today, which is this comedy form. Um, But it's a really interesting history. And it talks a lot about these great pioneers in improv. 
Uh, if you want to learn more about how to do improv, I really highly recommend the Upright Citizens Brigade Comedy Improvisation Manual. That was written by, well, the whole Upright Citizens Brigade was an original five-person duo, but Matt Besser is the person listed. It's in really a primer. It was designed to be the book. If nobody has an improv teacher and you want to learn how to do it and some strategies, this is like the manual to do that. Um, going into some books, some other books in terms of anxiety. The first one is Mind Over Mood, Change How You Feel by Changing the Way You Think by Dennis Greenberger. And this is kind of uh, a book about tracking yourself. So figuring out over a series of time what it is that's setting you off if you're having anxiety or panic or depression, but figuring out what it is or what kind of instances do that to you so you can kind of learn how to manage them or be aware of them and just kind of track how you're feeling and learn what it is that's making you feel good and making you feel bad. So it's a really great resource. And the last one I just finished was called Mastering Adulthood, Go Beyond Adulting to Become an Emotional Grown-Up by Laura E. Fielding. And this is really just about trying to handle your emotions, I would say. This is the way that I understood the book anyway, which is trying not to put up walls around yourself and tying your self-worth to things like how you're feeling emotionally, like all of it, or shutting yourself down or tying yourself up to, with performance. So really just talking about feeling the way you feel, but also allowing yourself to feel the way you feel, but also not being uh, a slave to your emotions at the same time. So being that kind of balanced person. Rama, do you have any books? Um, no, I don't have any books, but I have resources. That sounds um, good, yeah. Connects Ontario is a free confidential service. It's open 24 hours a day. So it's uh, the phone number is 1-866-531-2600. So you can call if you need to speak to someone. And there's also Anxiety Disorders Association of Canada. Um, their phone number is 1-888-223-2252. And uh, if we haven't mentioned already, we'll definitely have links of all the books and all the resources that Rama's provided uh, under the webpage for this episode. So, Rama, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you. This has been a really Thanks great Thanks for having me. The content of this episode reflects individual experiences and opinions and should not be taken as medical advice. Please seek the help of a medical professional if you, or someone you know, suffers from anxiety. Jason Bazadian works for the library and has good mental health hygiene. Christina Wong also works for the library and practices routine self-care. Rama Hashi is a social worker at the library who thinks the truth is out there. She is always looking for ways to connect the dots. Cameron Algy is an improviser and improv instructor based in Toronto. Follow his life in improv blog, peopleinchairs.com. Visit playwithfireimprov.com to learn more about improv for anxiety. Music by Highs. Shelve Under Podcast is a Toronto Public Library production. It is produced by Wendy Banks, Jason Bazadian, Ted Belke, Michael Warner, and Christina Wong. With production assistance by George Panayotu.